race weekend at Mid-Ohio and Atlanta Motor Speedway, and specifically with Atlanta, we saw hometown heroes reign supreme, and a feud start to boil over between Chastain and Hamlin. Ross Chastain, of course, was not really friendly on Sunday as he ended a lot of guys' days. What did they say post-race, and how far will this go? Well, the Above the Line crew was on the scene in Atlanta to get you up to date on all the action. This episode of Above the Line is presented by Haymaker Coffee. If you work hard, run hard, fight hard, and play hard, Haymaker Coffee has the coffee for you. Make sure to use the promo code RACE10 to get 10% off your order of Haymaker Coffee. Hey race fans, it's Taylor, and welcome back to Above the Line, the show where we talk all about the NASCAR Cup Series. And it was such a fun weekend, I took a bit of a detour and I actually covered the Truck Series this weekend at Mid-Ohio, my first in-person race media coverage. If you can't tell, I am completely burned on my arms. Uh, make sure you wear sunscreen if you're ever gonna cover a race, or even if you go to the racetrack, please wear your sunscreen. I, I learned my lesson completely, but I had a blast at Mid-Ohio. I'll probably talk about that experience in a little video. Maybe I'll put out this week or next week, or I'll talk about it in the live stream. But besides the point at Atlanta, there was a lot of controversy to talk about, and a little bit of mix up in the points that we gotta talk about, but I was very happy to have Dom Joseph and Rob Branning on the scene covering all the action from photos, to ad track interviews that you can check out on TobyChristy.com's YouTube channel, the one that you're looking at right now. But, you know, I feel like we need to hear from Dom, who was actually at the track. Here are his thoughts post-race before we get into our results. Well, the weekend is complete here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Wow, what a race. What two races we had, the Xfinity race and the Cup race, were both incredible. Um, sitting here at a very, very quiet Atlanta Motor Speedway right now. Everything's all finished up. They're all packing up and leaving. Chase Elliott has just left the press conference room uh, not too long ago. He, Jeff Gordon, Rick Hendrick all talked about this victory and what it means to them. Chase Elliott and Bill Elliott joined Dale Jr. and Dale Earnhardt as the only father-son duo to ever win at this racetrack. So let's talk about what I saw personally from here in the pits during this race. Tell you what, hard press to find another car faster than Chase Elliott. I mean, by far the most deserving race car to win this event, uh, not just because it's the hometown kid. He, he had the best car all the way through, had the absolute best car. The only other person that I could compare it to would be Denny Hamlin uh, early on, but that car just couldn't get back to the front uh, towards the end of the event. And then of course, what happened with Ross Chastain, we all saw that. Uh, kind of surprised that Denny didn't approach Ross at the end of the race. I was prepared for it. I was hoping it would happen for the sake of content, but uh, didn't happen. But again, a great event here. I, I love the new Atlanta. I love the new Atlanta. Uh, it brings a whole new spectacle to the sport. An intermediate super speedway. It it's an A plus for sure. But um, going through what else I saw, you know, Chastain, that move, I, I just, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I just, don't understand how this keeps happening but again this is just a guy that just goes for broke every race it is bring home the trophy or bring home the steering wheel at team track house racing uh, daniel suarez is the same way uh austin Cindric finished p3 this is a great race for the rookie uh, eric jones is p4 so richard petty petty gms racing uh, a great showing for them even though ty Dillon had damage from a crash uh, Eric Jones was able to bring home a good finish for the team. And then Ryan Blaney rounded out the top five. I feel like Blaney could have had a shot at the victory if he was a little bit closer at the end. But unfortunately, 
he was unable to get that opportunity. He, he was fast all day. He was fast all day as well. And uh, Kurt Busch showed some speed as well. That was good to see for 23-11 racing. Bubba Wallace wasn't able to get up to the front, but Kurt Busch was fast. But um, they're packing up and leaving here at Atlanta. The next stop on the calendar is New Hampshire Motor Speedway. I'm so glad I was able to come here and see this race, meet so many great people. But um, for me, it was pretty cool to see Chase Elliott win at his home track for the first time in his NASCAR career, not just in Cup. Trucks, Xfinity, he's never won here until today in a Cup car. Congrats to Chase Elliott. For Above the Yellow Line, I'm Dom Joseph. Again, gotta thank Dom Joseph for covering all the action on Pit Road, the Media Center, and beyond for the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. If you want to check out the individual interviews from this weekend that he did, make sure to check out all the other videos on the TobyChristie.com YouTube channel, the channel you're watching right now. Also, make sure if you want to check out the Mid-Ohio interviews that I was able to do, check them out on this channel as well. But like Dom said, there really needs to be no introduction with Chase Elliott winning. He becomes the second Georgia-born driver to win at the track, the first being his father. And with that said, they become the second father-son duo to win at the track the first being the Earnhardts. We talked about this last week, but last week was 18 races into the season. We had not yet had a three-time winner, which has never happened in the Cup Series before. Of course, we just needed one more race to kind of get there as Chase Elliott becomes the first three-time winner of the season. He swept the stages, so congrats to Chase Elliott on winning the Quaker State 400, a very well-deserved win. Now let's go to the rest of your top 10. We're going to kind of intersplice this with down the line talking about key moments from the race. We have individual driver comments from a lot of these instances that happened on the track. We got to start with the second place finisher of Rosh Testing again, caused some chaos on Sunday. He had a really strong car all day long. It was either he was in the wrong place at the wrong time or he was in the right place but made the wrong moves. I don't really know. On lap 93, he actually spun Martin Truex Jr. and it caused a multi-car wreck that actually took out Austin Dillon from the race and he had this to say after he was taken out of his number three car. Um, you know, they've gotten a lot of praise this year because they've been pretty good. Um, but it seems like he's in something every week and uh, I just hate that we get that hard over the wreck. And just kind of mind my own down there at the bottom got taken out. But part of speedway racing, I know that. And that's, you know, part of it. But we'll keep working hard and trying to drivers that are making direct contact with Ross Chastain that are starting to speak up. It's the drivers that are also being affected by those individual instances. Austin Dillon is pretty much saying, you know, I've seen it happen week after week. He seems to be in these accidents and causing them every week. I'm kind of sick of it. It's pretty much the overview of Austin Dillon's comments. And then, of course, we all know later in the race, again, Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain made contact what does this exactly mean? Well, Hamlin, according to a report that we had on tobychristie.com, is pretty fed up with it as well. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Hamlin is a very strategic driver, very calculated, and he's very, very experienced, which means he knows exactly when this is going to affect Ross Chastain. And I guarantee you, if Chastain makes it far enough into the playoffs, which I think he will probably make it to Martinsville battling for a championship four spot, Hamlin is going to guarantee that Chastain does not make it into that championship four. Heck, I think the whole field is going to make sure that he does not win a championship at all in his career until he cleans up his act. He definitely needs to rethink some apologies here and rethink how he drives on the track. I like aggression, don't get me wrong, and I know some drivers can drive with this type of aggression and not get as much backlash as Chastain has, but it's also an era of kind of reevaluating what respect on the track looks like. Of course, we had Ross Chastain make post-race comments. Dom actually got this video for us, so take a listen. Last incident with Denny Ross, did you just lose it a little bit when you got into him? Yeah, I just should have lifted more and just slid up and was tight. Um, I knew I was going to be tight. It was just 
down to the end and I just overestimated the grip level um, and it was just sliding and uh, is what, what caught me. So, um, uh, of course, it's, 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 I hate it. I mean, it's just, gosh, I, just, I, I truly hate it for those guys and him and uh, got to know him a lot better in the last few weeks and uh, it's just, I overestimated the grip uh, for a damaged car. And when I say Rush Chastain needs to clean up his act, I know that, that sounds a little harsh and maybe it's right on the money. I'm not really sure at this point. I get it's his racing style, but he needs to be mindful that, you know, that type of racing is not going to be tolerated at a higher level of the sport. You're in the Cup Series. You can't be wrecking people out to gain position. That's just not right. And especially with Truex, who was pushing him into the corner, you, you can't do that. So that's the problem I have with Chastain. And again, he's saying that he's sorry. He hates it for these guys. But where are we seeing where he's correcting his actions on the track? And I get it's a super speedway race. I understand that everyone's pushing and shoving in Atlanta Motor Speedway, especially now with the reconfiguration. is very, very tough. And there was a lot of shifting in the field. But you, you got to be mindful. And I guess that's my only advice for Ross Chastain as a non-race car driver. So really doesn't have to listen to me. But if anything, if he wants a chance to win a championship in the future, he has to clean up his act now, start kind of rebuilding those relationships that he might have lost, and maybe he'll have a shot. But I'm going to say right now, he's a championship favorite to me, driving-wise, but in terms of the rest of the field letting him win, that is a no-go. In third place, we had Austin Cindric. This was actually his fourth top 10 in a row. And I remember a few weeks ago, I was saying, you know, I'm really concerned for Austin. I feel like he had a slump after his Daytona 500 win, and he seems to really be picking it up in the summer months. So I'm very happy for that number two team. He actually had some post-race comments that he gave to Dom Joseph. So take a listen to that as well. Austin, you survived, finished top five. Talk about that and a great run for you in your only second start in the cup car at this track. Yeah, certainly uh, certainly a good recovery by the team, being super loose early, not being able to even run a lap wide open. So um, just proud of the effort by the guys, proud of the effort my spotter and I put in to, to once we did get established track position, be able to do something with it. So um, proud of the effort, proud of the uh, proud of the day, proud to have a top five, which we got. Uh, Maybe could have could established ourselves a little bit for the forward and challenge for a win. Moving on to fourth place, we have Eric Jones. This is actually his fifth top five of the season, believe it or not. I know I've said before, too, that he's been running pretty strong, but he seems to just be doing that pretty quietly. I honestly think he might be able to win Daytona when we get down to it for the playoffs. Not really sure yet, but just really good job for that 43 team of Eric Jones. In fifth place, we have Ryan Blaney with some post-race comments. Take a listen to this as well. Ryan, great run for you. The car was strong all day. Anything you could have had in those final laps? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just kind of where we lined up there at the end. I mean, you're not going to win one of these things from eighth. I mean, it's just not going to happen with two-lane racetrack, and it's not going to happen. So, uh, I mean, your only hope is hopefully the lane you're not in kind of gets bottled and jumbled and you can get single file and then make your move but um yeah just that we didn't we were close to getting in a couple wrecks and just uh that we missed those um but yeah it just didn't quite play out for us too well but not a bad day it was a strong run for you getting to the front though every time you got to the front you were able to stay up there what was going with the car that was able to keep you up there so much um, yeah i mean i think we handled pretty good that was one of the bigger things uh one of the bigger things I think we did better than most, um, really everybody but the nine, I think we were better handling them um, for sure. So, yeah, just being able to make aggressive moves, that's, that's one of the biggest things. And able to do that, just not, uh, not the right place, right time. You know, I've heard these comments from Ryan Blaney a lot where he's saying he's just not able to make passes, he's not able to make moves, he stalls out when he tries to. And 
part of me now feels like maybe that's just an issue for his individual team and it's part of the setup of his car because I don't hear this as much from other drivers. So I'm not really sure what's happening to Ryan Blaney there, but when he had the clean air, he was able to really get ahead of the field. I mean, he led a lot of laps on Sunday and I thought at one point he was actually the car to beat. And then of course, Elliot just started to dominate and get in the front. And Elliot is a, I feel like an underrated um, super speedway racer. And I think we look at Ryan Blaney and Denny Hamlin and we're thinking, wow, they're really good. But Elliot is always in the picture at these types of races. So with all that said, though, I think Blaney had a pretty decent day, didn't finish exactly where he wanted to. But well, with that said as well, he's also needing to keep his points lead out of the guys that have not won a race yet. So it was a good day for Ryan Blaney strategy wise, points wise and everything. He just was not able to get that win. In sixth place, we have Daniel Suarez, and in seventh, we have Justin Haley with his second top 10 of the season out of the points-paying races. In eighth place, we had Eric Almarola with his sixth top 10 of the season, and then right after him in ninth was teammate Cole Custer. I will say I've been very critical of Cole Custer this season. This is actually his first top 10 of the 2022 season, which I feel like shouldn't be happening in a Stuart Haas car. I will say last week, I took this out of the episode. I said it. I didn't feel good about it, but I'm, I'm going to say it now. I do not know if Cole Custer is a fit at Stuart Haas. I don't know if he's really fit for that ride in that caliber. Maybe if he moved back, we saw him do really well in the Xfinity series when he competed at Road America. Maybe that's the place for him. I feel like he was moved up too soon. Yes, he has a Cup Series win at Kentucky. I totally get that. But I, I think with the caliber of competition we're seeing in the Cup Series, he's not matching that. So a really good day finishing in the ninth position. But I'm not sure if that's going to carry through the rest of the season, though I would like it to. I don't know if that's going to happen. But I guess a really good day for Cole Custer in that 41 car. Finally, in the top 10, we have Harrison Burton. And of course, I got to bring a strictly stat into this, the stats wizard at tobychristie.com. Now, the stat is, which boggles my mind because I'm a little bit older than Harrison and I couldn't even do this even if I was a driver. He is the first driver to be born past January 1st of 2000 to be in the top 10 in the Cup Series. That is pretty wild. I say that about his stats all the time, but that's crazy. I mean, a really good job for Harrison Burton for finishing in the top 10. A really good momentum boost for that team, and I hope they can carry it through. And especially if he has a chance to get into the playoffs. He seems to be a pretty decent Speedway racer. Maybe he could be a surprise winner at Daytona. I'm saying that I've had a lot of drivers, honestly, but maybe he could. I'm seeing him gain a lot of confidence in this next-gen car. So another congrats goes to the 21 team of Harrison Burton for this weekend on a top 10 finish. All right, let's talk about our key players outside the top 10. Three guys I want to note. First off being Bubba Wallace in the 14th position. I think we all thought that he was going to do pretty well considering that he was pretty much guaranteed. We're well, not really guaranteed, but he almost got a win at Atlanta in the spring. He's really good at super speedway races. Just the car wasn't working for him. And I'm not sure what was happening. I was listening to his radio. He said, I'm waiting to crash. This is like the Texas all-star race. And I, he basically was like, get ready for me to just crash and burn, which was pretty disappointing to hear over his radio because I thought that he had a pretty good chance. I had him in my fantasy lineup. Didn't go as well as I thought it was going to be, but it, at least it wasn't worse than Christopher Bell. In the 19th position, we had Christopher Bell with 24 laps to go. He actually spun the car on the track. We went to pit road. We tried to change some tires. And just, just a reminder, the 20 crew and the 23 crew ended up switching some personnel on the pit road teams. The front tire changer and front tire carriers were swapped on those teams. And I, I, I could have called this, quite honestly, but there was a loose wheel on the car of Christopher Bell as he was exiting pit road, the tire fell off. Now at this point, we don't know if that's going to be a penalty or not. We're still waiting for that penalty report from NASCAR. It might be coming out today as the video is out and I'll update you guys in the comments below, but that is a 
big yikes for Christopher Bell. Do not know how that's going to affect him points-wise, but before the race, Dom Joseph actually got the chance to talk to him about this crew change, and well, take a listen. All of us, so um, it was not a surprise. I mean, do you, do you have a, do you care? I, like, I mean, in the sense of who, who's on your, not, not the, I mean, I know you care, but like, do you, do you, do you have any sort of, first, do you have a voice in it, and second, like, does it, I mean, are you either upset or happy or indifferent? Um, you know, it's a, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that. So, we have had uh, pit crew issues on the 20 as well. You know, it hasn't been all um, fun and games for us on the 20 group either. So, you know, I, I think that both of us, the 23 and the 20, are looking for improvements. And, you know, we've been saying that we've been looking for improvements. And uh, this is, you know, I think, a, I don't want to say maybe a first step. I don't know what the 23 has gone into, but... Uh, a step to hopefully improve both teams and you know we'll see how it plays out. So after Dom got this interview we talked about the comments a little bit together. He might have a different opinion than I do on this but for me personally I feel like his response was a little calculated and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think he was just trying to choose his words carefully like this these are the cards I was dealt. I don't necessarily think he actually had a say in this but it's something that they're gonna try. He's gonna trust the team and trust the process. It didn't actually work out too bad for him, though, even though this was a bad instance and it could cause a pretty significant penalty. At least he didn't fall below the cut line at this point. We'll talk about points in a second, but that is Christopher Bell's day in the 19th position. Final All right, we interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you some big NASCAR news. This actually released as I was doing the final touches on the edit for today's episode of Above the Yellow Line. But guys, 2311 Racing made a big announcement that they signed Tyler Reddick for the 2024 season. What does this mean? Let's break it down. So I've been following the reactions on Twitter, and there's a lot of questions that people have. There's a lot of questions that I have, quite frankly, about this move and the timing of it. So let's just start by talking about the timing of this announcement. Personally, for me, I'm going to agree with a statement released by RCR. RCR said, quote, we're proud of the success Tyler Reddick has found at Richard Childress Racing. We're focused on winning a championship in 2022 and 2023, although timing of this announcement could not be any worse. Why do I think this? Well, I know 2311 Racing, I think, maybe wanted to capitalize on the win that Tyler Reddick had. So they're like, hey, he just won a race. We're doing a little shaky right now. I know both of our drivers are winners. Kurt Busch won at Kansas this year, but you know what? Let's let's give people something to be excited about for our organization. Let's announce this now that Tyler Ruddick is going to join our organization. He's a new NASCAR Cup Series winner. Let's do it. So for them, the timing is perfect. For RCR, for Tyler Ruddick, who's going to be looking for a championship, just getting off of a win, that is going to split his focus between the future and the present. And I love Tyler Ruddick, but sometimes I feel like he can be a little bit squirrely and in focus just a little bit. So that is where I get concerned for him, and I get concerned that I don't think Tyler Reddick's ready to win a championship quite yet, um, even in the next two years, but I feel like it's going to hinder his results quite possibly. But then we also have to think, you know, Tyler Reddick has an option on his contract to be picked up for 2023. I mean, I would assume that Richard Childress Racing is going to pick him up for 2023 because, as they said in their statement, that they're focused on a championship for 2022 and 2023 with Tyler Reddick. So I don't think that Tyler Reddick's going to be going anywhere just in the meantime, between the 2022 and 2024 season, but it, it is a big mix up at RCR and, you know, talking about who could fill that spot at RCR. I know Austin Hill could be a really good candidate for that. If we're going to be looking outside the cup series, Noah Greggs, and he's always a wild card pick with junior motorsports wanting to move up to cup, even just doing some one-off races. 
Noah Gregson has already dipped his toe with into the cup series with other teams, um, beard motorsports. We, we got, um, college racing as well for Noah Gregson. So if he's looking for a full-time ride, as long as he, you know, kind of cleans up some of the aggression on the track, RCR could be the spot that he finds his home. Potentially. That is just a theory that I have, but going back to the 2311 racing announcement, you know, Denny Hamlet said, I watched him. I raised him. I wanted him and I got him. He, he was been, he's been watching Reddick for a while. And Reddick is one of those talents in the garage that if you develop him correctly, if you really focus on him, give him the time that he needs, he's going to succeed. But then that leaves the question, are, is Tyler Reddick going to be in a third car or is he going to be taking somebody's place? Kurt Busch, he's a veteran driver. We have a lot of drivers retiring after the 2023 season. Kevin Harvick, Eric Almarola might be staying after this season. It is a rumor that has been going around that maybe he's going to be adding another year. He said he's going to be racing this year like it's his last year, but we don't have any confirmation since this rumor that he is going to actually be leaving after the 2022 season. So we have a lot of drivers that might be retiring after 2023. Heck, we don't even know what Kyle Busch is doing this season. So maybe Tyler Reddick takes the 45 car. I don't, I don't think that they would get rid of Bubba Wallace. I don't think Bubba Wallace would look at a different opportunity. He's found a home with 2311 racing. It was, you know, circled around him. I, I, that's just how my perception of 2311 racing was and is. So I don't think Bubba Wallace is going to, is going to move, but if they're going to be putting him in a third car, um, again, this is not confirmed. They mentioned that they, don't know what's going to be happening after the 2023 season, whether they're going to have a third car or if somebody from the team is going to retire. None of this is certain, which is why I'm also kind of weary on the timing of this announcement. But if they have a third car, I don't think there's a charter out there for them to acquire. So that's where this gets tricky. I got to talk to Justin Marks at Mid-Ohio about the Project 91 car. And I asked him, you know, do you want this car to eventually be chartered or do you want to keep it kind of as a show car for, you know, a lack of a better words? And he was like, you know, that's a really good question. I... You know, we want to focus on getting, you know, Watkins Glen done this year. Next year, our goal is to run every single road course race, but, you know, kind of talked eventually maybe looking at chartering that car. That's something that they would like to see in the future with getting a third car. So if they're looking at getting a third car in the future, though, I don't know if it's going to be for 2024 and 2311 racing is looking at getting a charter for a third car in 2024. That limits the options of how many people can acquire that charter. So it's a gutsy move for them to announce this right now. And part of me is thinking maybe it's a, Hey, watch out. We're coming for a charter. If you have one, you want to sell, come to us first. That could be the possibility with this, but it, it is a crazy thing that is happening at 2311 racing. Let me know what you think about it in the comments below. What you think about this move was the announcement. We're timing. Who do you think is going to go to RCR? Lots of factors that are going to be crazily discussed um, in the next few weeks. And especially with silly season in 2024, going into the 2024 season, that's going to be absolutely wild. So leave your thoughts in the comments below, but back to the regularly scheduled program, the original above the line episode. Finally, we have to talk about one of the most impressive drivers of the day, or at least the second half of the race, Corey LaJoy. In the 21st position, we have Corey LaJoy, and I was rooting for him to win so bad. I really wanted to see a surprise winner in the playoffs, and I think after the race he put on in the second half of the Quaker State 400, he's incredibly deserving of that spot. And maybe, like he said, he's going to throw a Hail Mary for Daytona as well. We'll see what happens, but after a caution caused by Kyle Busch and Cody Ware, I'm not necessarily sure how that caution was caused and how they spun. I'm still confused if it was an individual instance or, or not. Really don't know. I watched the video back so many times and I cannot figure it out. But after that caution, there was a pit stop. Corey LaJoy decided to be gutsy and took zero tires on that pit stop, got off pit road in the first position, and he was leading the race from there. He traded the lead back and forth to Chase Elliott, and his car was actually really strong just leading. And I, I will say there was a, there were some wobbles here or there, and there were some hesitant moments. But overall, just seeing him being able to lead that charge at Atlanta at a really tough track, 
I was incredibly impressed and unfortunately on the last lap is where he lost to Chase Elliott pulled a pretty massive block on Corey LaJoy that sent him into the wall and caused some wrecks behind and there was a caution that was thrown on the last lap and Chase Elliott was deemed the winner on that caution. Of course, the hometown hero wins at his home track, which did cause a lot of controversy though on social media as he won under a caution, like I mentioned. A lot of people were saying, well, if it was any other driver, there wouldn't have been a caution, but, and, and yes, I can see that for sure. I understand that there might be favoritism for Chase Elliott. We've seen a lot of really odd calls with his wins, like, rain races especially as well. I'm thinking back to Circuit of the Americas, I believe, last year where it was raining really hard and they didn't call the race. And it was really until they were, were kind of figuring out that Chase Elliott was running out of fuel. when he, Once he was really close, they called the race Chase Elliott won. Th that was a little skeptical for me, I will say, just as a fan just in general and even just as a fan of Chase Elliott in general. I was skeptical about that call, but for this, I think it was justified. Listen, we've seen a lot of scary wrecks at super speedways, and I've seen a lot of times too where they haven't thrown the caution right away, and that's not good. When you have really bad wrecks at a super speedway race, you want to get to those drivers as soon as possible to make sure they're okay. They're carrying a lot of speed, and especially if they're wrecking into a turn, into the safer barrier, at a hard hit, especially knowing with these next-gen cars how much harder the hits are in the car than what they appear to be on TV. You want to get to those drivers as soon as possible, so as soon as Corey LaJoy caused that wreck on the last lap, they called the caution. I think it was justified. You could have your conspiracy theories as much as you want. I totally get it. I understand it, especially if you're a not Chase Elliott fan. There's some frustration there. If you just don't like because he's everyone's favorite. I also understand that, but I will say for safety purposes, that caution was absolutely justified. So I will say, I think Chase Elliott won it fair and square. Also, again, to mention he was the dominant car during that race, but it still sucks for Corey LaJoy. And I think he's going to win at some point. I can guarantee you he will. I just don't know if it'll be this season, but Corey LaJoy, my goodness, in the 21st position had one heck of a race. So that was down the line mixed with our results. Now let's get to our points standings from this weekend, starting with the above the line point standings. I will say I noticed a trend with my race picks. I don't know if any of you caught on to it, but for Nashville, I picked Tyler Reddick to win. Chase Elliott won that race. For Road America, I picked Chase Elliott to win that race. Tyler Reddick won that race. And then for this race at the Quaker State 400 at Atlanta, I chose Ryan Blaney to win, but then Chase Elliott won that race. So I'm picking the race winners like in advance. So maybe at New Hampshire, Ryan Blaney is going to win. Regardless, I was actually the winner of our point standings this week as I picked the guy highest in the leaderboard. So I got four points for this weekend, bringing my total up to 50 points. Next up in the standings was Adam. He picked Bubba Wallace. He gained three points this weekend, giving him 53 points. Next up was Dom Joseph. He picked Denny Hamlin. He gained two points, bringing him to 45 points. And finally, Brandon Lowe. Unfortunately, Chris Buescher did not finish this race. Nevertheless, Brandon earned one point for this weekend. Now he's up to 45 tied with Dom. Now let's look at our playoff grid. There's only a few changes to know. Now, obviously, Chase Elliott with three wins. Now he's at the top of the leaderboard as he was to begin with, but now he's pretty much almost solidified the regular season's points champion. I don't want to say solidified completely because there's still a way that Ryan Blaney can really catch up to him, but he has a pretty solid lead to Ryan Blaney for that regular season championship with points. Something else to look at is that Daniel Suarez moves up to six in the playoff standings and moves everybody else down. And last week, Ryan Blaney had a 51-point gap to Truex. Now he has extended that lead to 69 points. And then we go to 16th in points right above the cut line. I mentioned this earlier, but Christopher Bell maintains that position plus 18 to the good. Of course, like I said, though, we do not know the implications of that loose tire on pit road. We don't know if it's going to impact his point standings or what's going to come of that. But as of right now, he is above that playoff line plus 18 to the good, while Kevin Harvick is minus 18 to the good. 
Then Kevin Harvick has a pretty big gap between himself and teammate Almirola. Right behind him is Eric Jones, Austin Dillon, Michael McDowell, Justin Haley, Chris Buescher, and Bubba Wallace moves back up to the 24th position in points after Ricky Stenhouse Jr. did not finish this race. Now it's time to take a look at our Xyloware LVP and MVP of the week. LVP was a little bit difficult this week because nobody really stood out as losing. There was a lot of losers this race, but in my opinion, because I wanted a race win die cast of this car, the whole above the line crew, I think wanted it too. After a really slow pit stop, a few slow pit stops, I think spinning on track, instances that were none of his fault, I think Denny Hamlin has to be this week's LVP. Very sorry for that 11 team, better luck next week, but unfortunately just didn't work out. He had a really strong car at the beginning of the race, but it just didn't last. So Denny Hamlin, you are this week's above the low line LVP. Finally, the Xyloware MVP has to be Chase Elliott. No competition. He swept the stages with the dominant car of the day, the first three-time winner of the season. So Chase Elliott and the number 19, you are this week's Xyloware MVP. Honorable mention, though, has to go to Corey LaJoy. If I had to give it to anybody, a really freaking good effort by that team at the end of the race to try to get that win. And also a class act. Went to Victory Lane to congratulate Chase Elliott on the win. Mass respect to Corey LaJoy. I know the internet was buzzing with compliments for him and his driving and his efforts. So honorable mention has to go to that seven team of Corey LaJoy. Finally, to close out our recap, after this point standings, the results, the MVP, and down the line, let's go to rating this race above or below the yellow line, starting with your Twitter comments on a Twitter poll that I posted following the race. 38% of you said this race was great, 36% said this was good, 19% said okay, and 7% said bad. I also put a poll on the community tab on the TobyChristy.com YouTube channel, so make sure you vote on that as well. But here's what the YouTube community had to say. 61% of you said this was a great race, 20% said good, 14% said okay, and 6% said bad, so pretty on par with what we saw on Twitter. As for your specific comments, Brandon said they put on a better show than the Xfinity cars for once. This package works well for them. And for the ones that say they can't pass, we saw Larson come from the back, Hamlin and Bush, so it can be done. And was really hoping to see LaJoy pull off the upset. Great run, though. Jacob Morgan said, Though it was a solid affair, more excellence and less accidents along with a handling-dependent condition made this thing a good watch and a much better viewing experience than the first go at it in March. 8 out of 10 for me, broadcast was more focused than Fox but could have been better. Next, Heidi Fox said she loved the racing. And finally, from our very own Adam Lucas, he said Atlanta will never be the same again. I hate to say it, but the Mini Super Speedway is a fan favorite but not my favorite by a long shot. I always believed that four high-anxiety races per season, Daytona and Talladega, was plenty enough. That is not the case as I was anxious and just waiting for the field to be decimated piece by piece throughout the 260-lap affair. Passing was not easy and the cars were very choppy-looking from the broadcast. Mile-and-a-half tracks deserve to be raced traditionally. To just add to my traditionalist views, I think the new car would have put on a heck of a show with the normal speed package. Overall, the race did not disappoint, but did not leave me wanting any more. I give this race a 65 out of 100 above the yellow line. Thank you guys so much for leaving your opinions on the race in the comments on my Twitter page and on YouTube. Make sure to do that every week after the race. But now we got to get to the official rating, my rating. Of course, I know my rating is, I think, going to be above the yellow line. Now, I will say with this race, I kind of agree with Ryan Blaney saying that lack of passing was probably a little bit of an issue. I understand when you're back in the pack, it's going to be difficult to pass for the lead. But my goodness, when you were like the, in the top like four rows of this race, things were really interesting. Now that battle between Corey LaJoy and Chase Elliott was really entertaining. You saw Denny 
Hamlin make gutsy moves to get the lead. Ryan Blaney leading at one point was really entertaining as well, but even Tyler Reddick leading at one point kind of scared me a little bit, but it was really exciting. I, I gotta give this race a 90%. I think it was a really solid race. I think the caution at the end, I, I will say though, I think it was fair. I already talked about my points about that. Again, I just I just want to see Elliot win like a race, not necessarily legitimately, but without controversy um, for once. So that being said, I got to give this race a 90, but it was a really good and entertaining race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Very excited for what this race brings next year. All right, now it's time to preview the Ambetter 301 at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, or Loudon as we call it, starting with your track facts and driver stats. The track length for New Hampshire Motor Speedway is 1.058 miles long. The race length is 301 laps or 318.48 miles. Stage 1 is 70 laps, stage 2 is 115 laps, and the final stage is 116 laps long. Next up, your driver stats. The last driver to win at the track was Eric Almarola. The active driver with the most track wins is Kevin Harvick with 4. The active driver with the best average finish at the track is Denny Hamlin with a 9.6 average finishing position. This is where things get interesting. It's no longer Hendrick. We have a lot of Hendricks in a row with this, but the team with the most track wins at New Hampshire Motor Speedway is actually Joe Gibbs Racing with 11 wins to their name. And finally, the wins by manufacturer. Chevrolet has 19, Ford has 17, and Toyota has 9. Finally, let's get to two watch to worry for the race at Loud, and I gotta say there's a theme with this. We have two drivers from the same team in the two watch category, and the same goes for the two worry category. And I gotta start with our two worry. The first driver I'm gonna be worried about, rightfully so, is Christopher Bell. The pit crew swap didn't really favor Christopher Bell well, and he's going to be clawing his way to stay above the cut line. Kevin Harvick is pretty decent at New Hampshire, so I'm thinking that if Christopher Bell has issues. This could be Kevin Harvick's chance to get above the cut line. Also concerned a little bit because Christopher Bell actually finished this race in the second position last year, but he had, you know, a pit crew that he was used to. This year, he does not. So that's why I'm going to be concerned about Christopher Bell going into the race at Loudoun. The final two worry driver has got to be Martin Truex Jr. He finished this race in 12th last year, and it's another points concern. I mean, he's pretty good above the cutoff line, but again, if we have a new winner, that's going to put him right on the cusp of going below. So that's why I'm going to be worried about Martin Truex Jr. He's also, I think, just better at the short tracks, to be honest with you. So that's that's where I see him maybe doing well with this being the magic mile, but going to be a little worried about Martin Truex Jr. as he goes into New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Finally, our two watch. Got to start off with Eric Almarola. Now, a top 10 at Atlanta is not really going to translate over to a top 10 at New Hampshire. But again, we remember that Almarola had the Cinderella story. He won last year's race after a weird rain start and then the lights going down. Of course, New Hampshire does not have lights at the track. So as the track went dark, we had to end the race early. And Almarola with his strategy won. I'm going to be concerned because, you know, that was based off of a strategy race with timing. This one, the weather looks pretty decent, so it's not going to really be a weather race. I'm going to be watching Amarola to see if he can keep up with just normal strategy for this race and seeing if he can retain or maybe get another win um, out of this. So Amarola is going to be one of my guys to watch for this weekend. And my final guy to watch is going to be Kevin Harvick. I mentioned this earlier, but with Kevin Harvick just below the cut line, fighting with Christopher Bell for that final position in the playoffs, he can use this to his advantage. Christopher Bell does not have a crew he is used to. Kevin Harvick does. I'm going to be seeing if Kevin Harvick can gain some points and get himself above the cut line this weekend at Loudoun. So who are your two watch to worry for New Hampshire Motor Speedway? Let me know in the comments below. And with that, we are done with this episode of Above the Yellow Line, the show where we talk all about the NASCAR Cup Series. To catch more Above the Yellow Line content, make sure to follow me on Twitter at underscore TaylorKitchen underscore for post-race polls and daily questions and Above the Yellow Line on Instagram, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. 
Also make sure to check out TobyChristy.com on all social platforms to find great motorsports content and TobyChristy.com to hear and read more from the team and your favorite drivers. Last but not least, I want to thank XyloWare and Haymaker Coffee for supporting Above the Yellow Line and TobyChristy.com. You can find all of our social pages linked in the description below, but before you check those out, make sure to like this video, subscribe to the channel, share this with your friends and family, and guys, thank you so much for supporting us here at Above the Yellow Line and TobyChristy.com, and until next time, I'll see ya.